In a normal deck of cards, there are 13 cards in each suit. Now, it was uh, thought by many scholars that the uh, first, well, that went well, didn't it? The, uh, it was thought by many scholars that the first playing cards started in China, 9th century, Tang Dynasty. Came to Europe in the 14th century. By the time we got to the 17th, 18th century, pardon me, the, um, the French card makers came up with this brilliant idea. Let's honor the kings and queens and knaves that were the best and the greatest in world history and put their names on the cards. And so we have four kings. King of Spades, King David. King of Hearts, Charlemagne. King of Clubs, Alexander the Great. King of Diamonds, Julius Caesar. The Fab Four. Now, you may have a, a, different, um, a, a, a different king that you might want to add to your particular list, to your deck of cards. Um, but there's one indisputable fact. There is one that is greater than the Fab Four. And that is the one who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. The Apostle Paul wrote of the glorious appearing of this one, and he says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords. That phrase, King of kings, Lord of lords, is repeated in, in Revelation 17, Revelation 19. Um, but that description is not new. We turn back into the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and Moses said this, The Lord, your God, is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. For 1,500 years, God's people waited for that one who would be the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy, his description of who God is and the one that is coming. At his first advent, Messiah Jesus filled those shoes. At his second coming, that we eagerly anticipate, he will walk in those shoes. This morning in our continuing study through the fourth gospel, John's gospel, we, we, we have seen, we will continue to see Jesus before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pilate is in a precarious, difficult, um, unenviable position. He has had this, this particular man, Jesus the Nazarene, thrust into his presence early in the morning. And he is forced to make a decision. The Jews, specifically the Sanhedrin, 
the Supreme Court of the Jews, have unanimously brought this man with a charge. Now, as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, the, the Jews did not um, uh, give to, to Pilate the, 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 the charge, the accusation that they accused Jesus of. They accused Jesus of blasphemy, that is, making himself out to be God. The, the Jews uh, knew that that, that, kind of, of, um, uh, that kind of charge would not turn Pilate's head. He, he wouldn't be interested in, the, in, in that kind of a, a religious argument. And so this is how the Sanhedrin framed the charges as they presented Jesus to him. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 2. They accused him, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, though Pilate was a fool. He wasn't foolish enough to know that at least these first two charges of insurrection, tax evasion, the Jews were just blowing smoke in his face. He blew the smoke away. He saw it for what it was. But it's that other charge that Jesus is a king. That required some looking some analysis and so Pilate began to inquire of this particular idea that Jesus is a king in John chapter 18 Jesus told Pilate verse 36 I'm sorry verse 37 you correctly say that I am a king going back one verse in verse 36 Jesus also said, my kingdom is not of this world. There's a lot that Pilate did not understand. But as he questioned Jesus, he realized this man is no threat to Rome. I don't understand what his kingship is all about, and I don't understand what his kingdom is all about. Pilate probably reasoned in his mind, but he's not guilty of something that would cause a threat or a challenge to the emperor. So he, he reported to the Jews. Three times did he report to the Jews. I find no guilt in this man. That conclusion was completely unacceptable to the Jews, for they wanted Jesus to be executed they wanted him not not just to be stoned uh, like the Jews would want to to um, take care of a, a capital crime they wanted him crucified they wanted him to suffer and they wanted him to be put on display that he and all of his followers were unwelcomed in Israel they were going to settle for nothing less than Jesus on a cross, dead. There's a number of things that um, Pilate wanted to do. Um, 
he, 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 wanted to, um, he wanted to get this monkey off of his back. Um, he, he, he realized that he didn't want to execute a, a, an innocent man, and, and yet he had these Jews and a growing crowd of people early that morning um, that potentially could riot, and that's not going to look good on his resume. So he came up with a plan. And Pilate, first realizing that Jesus was from Galilee, sent him to Herod, who was the governor of the region of Galilee. And he said, well, let Herod mess with it. Well, that didn't work. Party boy Herod sent him back to Pilate. So... Pilate came up with another, his, his next lame brain idea. How about if I put two people, one of them Jesus, uh, in front of the, the crowd and say, I'm going to release one of these men to you, Jesus and Barabbas, a terrorist. Certainly they're going to choose to have the terrorist in bars, in chains. They don't want somebody like, like, like that to be running around the streets of their city. But that's who they chose. Okay, that didn't work. Next idea. Pilate says, okay, well, if I, if I bludgeon Jesus, I'll keep him alive. But if the Jews see him bruised and bloodied and broken and absolutely humiliated, maybe these bloodthirsty Jews will be satisfied in some sick way and I can leave the innocent man alive and avoid a riot. Verse 6 of John chapter 19. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 5. Jesus then came out, wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. This is your guy. Here he is. Bloodied, bruised, broken, humiliated. But it backfired on Pilate. It, he he, he, he uh, did everything he could, and yet the crowd still uh, uh, cried out, verse 6, crucify crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. It's as though Pilate was throwing his hands in the air. He didn't know what to do. He had, he had run out of ideas. Our text begins in the next verse, in verse 7. And the Jews here are twisting Pilate into their own shape. Read with me. John chapter 19, beginning verse 7. The Jews answered Pilate, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
So Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not, do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation for the Passover, it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Peter said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he handed him over to them to be crucified. Point number one in your, in your notes. Fearing the Son of God. When Herod realized that his his declaration, his verdict of innocence on Jesus was not heard or heeded, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Now, a Roman governor had the responsibility not only to enforce Roman law, but while he was in a particular locale, he was to maintain local law. Now up to this point, the Jews had played softball with Pilate. They, they played softball in that they were handing him charges, false charges as they were, um, that he was an insurrectionist, that he was a tax evader, um, that he was a king, um, that is a, a, a threat to, uh, to, to Caesar. Uh, um, and only the last uh, charge was something that, that uh, Pilate was concerned about. He examined Jesus and found, no, he's, 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 not, a, he's not a threat to, to the Roman Empire. He, they were giving, they were giving um, Pilate uh, the kind of charges that uh, Pilate would be interested in as, uh, as a Roman officer. But now they're playing hardball. Softball got them nowhere. They got no traction with the kinds of charges they were bringing to Jesus that, that they thought Pilate would respond to. And they said, okay, you're not interested in religious uh, reason or religious charges, but we're going to give you one. So I want you to hear it, and I want you to heed it. 
the Jews said to Pilate. We have a law. No doubt they were referring to the book of Leviticus, chapter 24. And verse 16, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now forget about that, the inner part of that verse that I did not read, where it says they shall be put to death by stoning. They were interested in something much more dramatic. So, so Pilate's listening to this. Okay, you've got this, this law, and, and he's, he has to, has to at least respect it. Um, many times, the Jews had encountered uh, Jesus, had interacted with Jesus, and had charged him with blasphemy. I put in your notes a handful of verses where where that charge is given and the, the Jews are coming after him for that reason of, of claiming to be divine. So here we have this, this, um, this conflict between Pilate saying not guilty and the Jews saying very guilty. Who's going to win? How is this going to how is this going to um, resolve itself? Well, it, it, it began to resolve itself in the favor of the Jews when they said of Jesus that he made himself out to be the Son of God. Verse 7. Now, if you've been a Christian for a period of time, you have filled that phrase, Son of God, with content. You understand that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. You understand that uh, he has equal power, authority, um, uh, the same will as God the Father and God the Spirit. He is Messiah. He is the anointed one. All of that is, is balled up in that phrase, the Son of God. Now, the Jews um, would have had at least some hint of messiahship and divinity wrapped up in that phrase as well. And they would have capitalized the word son and capitalized the G in God. Son of God. But all Pilate heard was the phrase son of God. He didn't hear it written out. Now, from his pagan background, with the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods and goddesses, this is what Pilate heard. Jesus made himself out to be a son of the gods, or a son of a god, which caused no small amount of panic in Pilate. Verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He was afraid because he realized, I have just 
scourged this man. I have opened up his back. He is actively bleeding. We can see some of his vital organs. I have beat this man close to death. And he may be a son of the gods. He may be something that is more than human. He may be superhuman in some sense with greater power and authority than I have as a human being. That thought caused Pilate to tremble in his shoes. Verse 9, so he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Pilate had, had taken Jesus out and presented him to the crowd. The crowd said, crucify him. didn't matter how bloody and bruised and, and, and marred he was. That didn't work. They didn't, give, they didn't just walk away. So Herod takes him back into the praetorium and asks him, where are you from? Because of verses like verse 36 in chapter 18. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, so where are you from, Jesus? What kind of world are we talking about? Just like a lamb led to slaughter. Isaiah 53, Jesus remained silent. He said nothing, didn't answer Pilate. He could have said, I am from heaven. I left the glories of my Father, and I, am, I have condescended to come down here. I have lived a sinless life as the incarnate Son of God. But Jesus didn't say any of that. He remained stone silent. Jesus gave him no answer in verse 9. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Do you not see the gravity of this moment, Jesus? I need you to give me some information here. Well, this is the information Jesus gave him. Verse 11 you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who has delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, let's, let's, let's talk about um, delegated authority. And uh, then we'll talk about greater sin here for just a moment. Um, we, we, need, we need to affirm a couple of, of things here. Um, first off, uh, no human ruler has power by himself. We, we might think that, and on the surface it might appear to be so, but all power is delegated. Uh, Pilate thought he had um, power and authority over Jesus. 
Jesus says, you would have no authority over me. Why? Because Jesus has power and authority that is greater than Pilate's. But authority has been delegated to Pilate by Almighty God. Power and authority even to take Jesus' life. Now here at this intersection, we find uh, divine sovereignty and human responsibility connecting. We call it the doctrine of convergence. And that doctrine tells us that God is going to accomplish his sovereign will no matter what. Further, he will use the choices the delegated power and authority to sinful men, he will even use the actions of sinful men to accomplish his perfect and eternal purposes. So though Pilate thought he was a hotshot and could do just about anything he wanted to do, no, he was given authority and God was going to accomplish his purposes through Pilate even if he made bad choices. God is going to accomplish his perfect will in your life even when you are surrounded by people that make very bad choices. The second thing we need to, oh, here, and one other illustration of that. Um, in, in Genesis chapter 50, you remember that um, um, the patriarch Joseph is, um, um, is, is talking with his brothers, and they're very fearful that, they're, that Joseph is going to uh, beat up on them because of what they did to him. Uh, selling him into Egyptian slavery many years ago. And, and Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That's convergence. Sovereignty and human responsibility coming together and intersecting. Um, let, me, let me say, let me say uh, something here about, about Jesus' statement here in verse 10. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11 again. He, uh, he says, for this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. L- let me explore that for, for just a minute because there's, some, there's some, uh, some benefit and some important things here that we need, to, we need to make sure we get locked into our mind. Judas delivered Jesus into the hands of the Jews. Caiaphas, high priest, delivered Jesus into the hands of the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate delivered Jesus into the hands of his soldiers who put Jesus on a cross. Okay, so who is it that has the greater sin? Are we talking about Judas? Are we talking about uh, Caiaphas? Are we talking about Pilate? Well, Jesus says to Pilate, He who delivered me to you has the greater sin. 
He's talking about Caiaphas. Caiaphas has the greater sin. Now, what what does that mean exactly? Well, let's break it down. Caiaphas, as the high priest, uh, the highest authority among the Jews in that generation, Caiaphas had the prophetic scriptures. He had the word of God as it had been given, as it had been uh, um, written down by the likes of Moses and Joshua and Ezra and David. He had the prophets. He had the prophets that, that um, uh, described in rather explicit detail what the Messiah is to be about and what it's to look like, how would you would recognize him. He had the prophetic word. Pilate did not. He had greater revelation than Pilate. So Jesus says, he has the greater sin, but we're not done. He had the prophetic word, but he had that prophetic word confirmed by the words and the works of Jesus. Now, the religious leaders had had gone back and forth with Jesus all of his earthly ministry. And it had to do with what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So they were well familiar with Jesus' words and works. Pilate didn't have that kind of, uh, that kind of certainty of, of the prophetic word made certain. Caiaphas did. And he had the greater sin for that. Further, we could go further, uh, Caiaphas was the one who instigated Jesus' arrest, his trial, trials, plural, and his crucifixion. How is that? Well, it was only because Judas showed up at his door, knocked on the door, and, and offered himself as, for money, of course, as, a, as, as the, uh, the, the high court's lackey. He offered himself as, as their, uh, their, their messenger to deliver Jesus into their hands. It was all Caiaphas's Uh, plotting and those with him that made sure that Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified. So in that sense, Caiaphas had the greater sin. Now the purpose here in in lingering here is because of the greater sin, as as Jesus speaks to to Pilate, he's pointing to the fact that there are degrees of punishment. Greater sin demands greater punishment. And when we understand the nature and the character of God, we, we, we affirm that. God is just. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is omniscient. He sees and knows everything. He knows all of the contingencies, all of the possibilities, all of the motivations. And he does that which he does in judgment justly, fairly, equitably. You get exactly what you deserve. There are degrees of punishment. Now, if you were to 
list the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad people in this world, um, we might put the likes of, of Hitler, Stalin, and Caiaphas on that list. These are very, very, very bad people. And they will be punished according to their sin. They're not going to get a pass. God is just. He must punish sin. But here's the kicker. The Christian life, Christian doctrine, says that any person who comes in repentance and faith, submitting to Christ the Savior, any person will be forgiven their sin. We, we could be talking about the most upstanding moral person we can think of, we've, we've ever been um, around, or we could think about Hitler's and Stalin's and Caiaphas's. We could think about the, the nasty of nasty people, or we could think about noble people. We're all sinners. We will all be punished by degree according to our sin. But for those who come in faith to Christ, we believe that he has taken the punishment for us. There are degrees of punishment, but there is not degrees of forgiveness. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, and we all have a backstory, don't we? Before we came to faith in Christ, some of you could scare the rest of us by hearing some of the backstories that you've never told anybody. For those who come to faith in Christ, it's all forgiven. Christ has taken it upon himself. Second page of your notes, point number two. Pilate was fearful when he heard the phrase, Son of God. He might have thought, Son of the gods. He was also fearful of the sons of men. Verse 12 in our text. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. As a result of all the things that he was doing, for this whole morning, Peter, or rather, Pilate has looked for ways to get out from underneath this, this, this problem, this difficulty, this pressure of having to, to execute an innocent man. He's trying to walk, walk, walk this fine line between executing a, a, uh, an innocent man and, and enduring a riot. Uh, he wants to avoid both. He's, he's tried all kinds of things. He's tried to dismiss the charges outright. That didn't work. He tried to humiliate the Jews. Um, that, that didn't work. 
he tried to manipulate the crowd by abusing Jesus, torturing Jesus. Well, um, that, that didn't work. So, so the Jews pushed him, cast him onto the horns of a dilemma. Middle of verse 12. The Jews cried out saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. There is a fallacy in logic called the, um, uh, the fallacy of uh, uh, um, um, Well, it's sometimes called the either-or fallacy. Why can't I think? Oh, the, the fallacy of the false dilemma. Sometimes called the either-or fallacy. It, it's it's, to, um, it, it's a, um, a, a fallacious argument to, to force your, your audience to choose one of two options when indeed there are many more than just two options. There's something else you could choose here. Well, they say... Um, the Jews said, if, if you do not choose, uh, crucify Jesus, you are an enemy to Caesar. Implying that you can only be a friend of Caesar if you crucify Jesus. False dilemma. But what it did was it caused Pilate to for, for a, a moment or two to, 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 to play in his mind uh, a number of, of things as he's trying to wrestle with, how do I get myself out of this mess? No doubt he heard from, uh, or he, he replayed the message that he received from his wife. She gave him a note we read in Matthew 27. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And then again, there was that statement that Jesus made, my kingdom is not of this world. So, so, so Pilate is wrestling with these things in his mind, wondering how is he going to get himself out of this rhubarb? Um, his boss... Um, was Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius was uh, Caesar number two in the Roman Empire. He was uh, Caesar Augustus, Octavian's um, adopted son. He was known to be um, uh, suspicious, um, ruthless, um, uh, brutal, um, particularly to, to those who were directly under his authority. And Pilate is, is wrestling with, his, with, with this. He, he's, he's already had run-ins with Tiberius. He's had, he has a couple strikes already against him. And he's thinking uh, about the sons of men, specifically his boss, and he's, he's, he's playing this scenario in his mind, 
if I do not crucify this man, though he be innocent, the Jews are going to complain to, to Tiberius again. And that foolish man is probably going to listen to them and believe what they have to say. What kind of defense am I going to have to come up with to say, I took the words of these Jews about this man, Jesus the Nazarene, seriously. I tried him and I found him innocent. What kind of defense am I going to have to come up with when the Jews say to Tiberius, our highest court found this man guilty of being a threat to your rule, Mr. Tiberius Caesar. What am I going to say to that? So here is Pilate trembling in his boots as the Jews cried out for Jesus to be crucified. Verse 13, so when he heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat him down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation for Passover, meaning that it was Friday. Prior to the Sabbath, prior to the, the Passover meal to, to be celebrated that evening, it's Friday. And then, it's a bit of a sidebar here, John tells us this, it was about the sixth hour. Okay, let me get a little technical here because this is one place where the skeptics say, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's another place where we find a contradiction in the Bible. Because Mark chapter 15, verse 25 reads, it was the third hour when they crucified him. And here is the statement by John that it was about the sixth hour. So what's with that? Well, Jews and Gentiles counted time based on sunrise. When the sun rose, that's when the day begins. Well, that makes sense to us. That's hour zero. So the third hour would be roughly nine o'clock. The sixth hour would be roughly noon. How are we to reconcile these? Well, there is honestly no, no easily microwaved answer to this um, conundrum. Uh, but let me, let, let, me, let, me, um, let me give you a possible scenario. Let me, let me put this verse in front of you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. He said, it was now about the sixth hour. He's talking about Jesus' crucifixion. And he's talking about the middle of that period of time. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So Luke says, from noon till three, it was the darkest dark. In the middle of the day, it was like midnight. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me postulate an answer. Let's suppose that this black blackness happened as a result of 
supernaturally charged cloud cover. Is that possible? We've seen degrees of thick clouds before. Some you can even see the sun through the clouds and others is just pretty dark. Well, let's imagine if it's supernaturally charged that it could be really, really, really dark. Now let's suppose that there began to gather clouds earlier in the day so that by noon it could be dark like night. How is it that the ancients told time? They didn't have an iPhone, didn't have a watch, didn't have a grandfather clock in the entryway of their homes. They told time by the sun. And they had sundials that would give them a better approximation of, of uh, what, what, what time of day it was. But if we have thick clouds, such that we can't even see the sun, we're, we're kind of guessing at what time it is, are we not? Can't see shadows, the sundial's certainly not going to help us in any way. So if this is the situation, is it possible that both John and Mark, and Luke for that matter, are giving us time stamps based on their best guesses. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. So, though Mark says um, Jesus was crucified at, uh, at the third hour, roughly nine o'clock in the morning, and, and John says that the trial between Pilate and Jesus ended at about the sixth hour, it is possible for both men to be saying roughly late morning the trial between Jesus and Pilate ended and Jesus was led away to be crucified. That's huh. possible. Middle of verse 14. At about the sixth hour Pilate said to the Jews, Behold, your king. He's, he's mocking the Jews. Um, he's, um, he's, he's digging at them. And then he, um, uh, it, it's, it's as though he's, he's, he's saying, um, this is the king that you deserve. One that is, is broken, bloodied, humiliated. Um, well, it, it, it certainly is true that we need a suffering, sin-bearing Savior. We, we need that, to be sure. Do we deserve it? No. No. Know that we do have a suffering, sin-bearing Savior is a gift of grace. 
My final point, uh, number three, failing to fear the king. The Jews cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And, and while they are shouting, while they are foaming at the mouth, mm, gee, Pilate, uh, he, just, he just lets them sit there, I, I can imagine. Just, just letting them uh, boil in their own juices. And, and, and then uh, again with, a, with, with, with a disdain, with with uh, a, a, a snurred remark, he, uh, he, he asks them, shall I crucify your king? Chief priests answered, wait a minute, the chief priests answered. The highest religious authorities in Judea, the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. This is a declaration of apostasy. This is a, this is a declaration. We, we, we have no interest in Jesus whatsoever. We do not want him to be king in any way, shape, or form. We are not going to submit to him. Our allegiance, our loyalty is to Caesar. Oh, you lying dogs. Not the case. But that's what they communicate to Pilate. There's a parallel account of this kind of thing in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8. If you remember your Old Testament history, after... Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt, and Joshua delivered them into the promised land. There was a period of 400 years that we call the period of the judges. Uh, we also call it the period of the theocracy, where God in heaven reigned as king over his people, the Israelites. Samuel was the last of the judges in the Old Testament, among them uh, Gideon, Samson. Samuel was the last one. And he was the last one because the Israelites were incessant in their demand to have a king just like the nations around them. For Samuel chapter 8, pick up with verse 4. All the, Is all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. What a sad state. These Israelites rejected God as their king. And they were led by who? The elders of Israel. 
In Jesus' day, they were led by the chief priests. And they, 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 they said, we, we don't want anything to do with Jesus being our king. We follow Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Now let me pause here for just a moment. <clears throat> these are, these are the, the, the highest leaders in, in Judea. Samuel's day, Jesus' day. Where does false teaching largely come from? Right here, the pulpit. Those people that have the title pastor or professor or doctor so-and-so test everything they have, what they say, by Scripture. Because it is often through the teaching of false shepherds that false teaching begins to seep in the church. And before you know it, the whole church is swimming in false teaching. Be careful listening to the kind of people where you can go back to the Scripture and you can verify that they are actually proclaiming the words of God. Well, back in our text, the Jews got their way. Verse 16 in our text. So he, that is Pilate, then handed Jesus over to his soldiers to be crucified. Luke gives us um, some, helpful, uh, some helpful details here. Chapter 24, chapter 23, verse 24. Pilate announced sentence that their demand be granted, verse 25, and he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will nailed to a cross. My friends, I'm going to give you two options. Now, these two options are um, not illustrative of the fallacy of, um, of the uh, false dilemma or the either-or fallacy. Now, I'm, I am simply reporting to you what Scripture reports. We have, we have two options. We can reject Jesus as the king, walk away from his power, his rule, his authority, or we can submit to it. Those are the only options that we've got. And that's what Scripture declares. Matthew captures this question by Pilate Chapter 27 of Matthew's Gospel. Pilate asks, What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Great question. Only two options. I reject or I submit. L listen to the clear declarations from Scripture. I'm going to read these 
and I'm going to close with, with, with these. I put all of these notes in order, or, or these references in order in your notes. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. 1 John 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Hebrews 12. Oh, John, John, John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Let's pray. Father, the scriptures are clear. You have not stuttered. We know with with certainty your will, your plan, your direction with regard to Jesus and your demand that we bow the knee. We know that all will bow the knee. All will confess that he is Lord. But right now, while we are here on earth, we can do so in such a manner that we receive the forgiveness of sin. Not on the basis of who we are or what we've done or how we think. We receive that purely as a gift of grace exercised through faith in the one and only Son of God. I pray that those in my hearing would find themselves bowing the knee, placing ourselves in submission to Jesus. I pray this in his name.